Welcome to the TCU Chi Alpha podcast, where we share sermons, interviews, and other resources that encourage and challenge students as they follow Jesus on campus. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us. My name is Andrew Youngblood. My wife, Alicia, and I direct uh, the Chi Alpha here at Texas Christian University. And uh, we also have another gal on our staff named Kimber Kremrai, and we're just honored to be able to serve on on this campus. This is actually, we're starting our ninth year here at TCU. So we've been here for a little while. And, and man, just as I was preparing for today, I just wanted to share with each of you as you listen that God has you here for a reason. He has you here for a purpose. My family has been here for almost uh, over eight years now, and we've been praying for each of you. That means if you're a freshman, that we've been praying for you since you were in like elementary school. (laughs) And so I just want you to know that God loves you, that he has you here for a reason, for a purpose. You're not at TCU by accident. You're not here by mistake. You're not here by coincidence, but God uh, knew you would be in this place, and he loves you, and he has you here for a purpose. And if that's true, I, you know, I believe he wants to speak to you as you listen to this. And 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 we, if if that's true, that the God of the universe has you here for a reason, for a purpose. Man, let's listen to what he might have to say to us today. In Matthew chapter seven, starting in verse twenty-four through twenty-nine, Jesus says this. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes down in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse in a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Let me pray and and we'll jump into Jesus. We love you. We just pray that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us through the word of God and that we would hear what you have to say for us today. We just ask you to challenge us today in Jesus' name. Well, my brother Kenneth, uh, my brother-in-law Kenneth and his family are having a house built down in the Austin area and all of us in the family were super excited for them. We're excited that they get to build a home and and a few weeks ago we were hanging out at their uh, at an Airbnb all together as a family um, and Kenneth walks into the room like he goes out to his truck, he walks into the room with this giant roll of papers and he just starts laying them out on the kitchen counter and so everybody starts to walk over and kind of look at these papers and, and when I walked over I realized oh this is the floor plan for the house that they're building and he starts to show us all the things he's really excited about, the the closets and the cool ports that they're uh, building and, and where they're going to put their pool and how it's all going to be laid out and it's going to be a really, really beautiful home. Like we're really excited about it for them. And the best part about it, in my opinion, is that he and his family get to make this house the way that they want it. Like they get to work with the builder to decide the budget and the layout and the design. They're not just inheriting a house that someone else had built for them. Um, They get to make it their own, which is really, really exciting. And I noticed something though, as we we were talking about the house, as a whole family, we were just ooing and hawing over all these things. We asked about like granite versus tile countertops or stained concrete versus wood flooring or cabinets or bathroom details. But at least from when I was standing there, not a single person asked about the details of the foundation. 
No one said, hey, Kenneth, now what's the substrate type and the location you're building? Is it rock? Is it soil? Is it clay? <laughs> no one asks, like, what's your cement to sand to stone aggregate ratio for the foundation that you're pouring? Like, nobody said, hey, if you're going to do piers, are you going to use metal or concrete piers? Like, how deep are you going into the bedrock? No one cared <laughs> in that moment about the foundation. And you know why? Because, honestly, unless you're an engineer and you like to nerd out on things like this, Talking about a concrete slab is not that exciting. It's not cool. It's kind of lame, actually. But here's the crazy thing. As, as lame as it is to think about and talk about a big concrete slab, when it comes to building a house, the foundation is more important than the floor plan. The foundation is what you lay before you build the house. It's, it's what the house actually stands on. And, and that foundation determines whether or not the house you build stays standing over time. Like you can use the best lumber, the most expensive brick, all the quality materials on the market. And if your foundation is trash, <laughs> it's not going to matter. Like you can have the perfect floor plan laid out exactly how you want it. It can be your dream home, but if that foundation is bad, the house is going to be a nightmare. And I know this because we've had friends in our lives, Alicia and I, that have rented or bought homes with bad foundations. And they look, they might look amazing on the outside, but over time as it rains and as the foundation, you know, kind of gets wet underneath the soil, the foundation begins to break and shift and things get really bad. Like we've had friends that uh, the drywall, the wall starts to crack in their home you could literally like stick your hand into the gaps in the drywall. Um, we've had friends that if you sat on one side of their living room and you put a ball down, the ball would actually roll all the way across the room because the foundation was so unlevel, was so tilted. We even had friends that the foundation was so bad and it starts to crack that their plumbing, their pipes actually burst uh, because the, the, the concrete moves and it bursts the pipes and their house floods. So you can have the perfect floor plan with the perfect design, but if that foundation is bad, it's going to be a huge problem because when it comes to building a house, the foundation is more important than the floor plan. And you might be thinking now, okay, Andrew, you're not Chip Gaines and this isn't Fixer Upper. Why are we talking about this? Well, here's why. I think the words of Jesus in this passage are so important for the stage of life that you guys are in right now. Because as college students, you guys are on that floor plan stage of your life. And that's honestly, that's one of my favorite things about working on a college campus with college students because you're working on the floor plan. You guys are walking in with the, with the big sheet of paper like Kenneth did and you're laying it out and you're excited about the life that you get to build, the future careers that you're going to have, the places that you'll live, the experiences that you will have. You're laying out the plans that will set you up for the rest of your life right now while you're in college. And what's really cool is you get to do it yourself. Like your parents, obviously they have some influence and, and say in that, but, but really you guys are doing it yourself. It, it, you're making this life your own. And so your GPA, your relational network, your internships, your friendships, they're all kind of like the raw materials that you're going to use to build your life. And the coolest thing is <laughs> for you guys is that because you're at TCU, you get to work on that floor plan while watching some incredible football and going to parties and concerts and fireworks shows all the time, like go frogs. And if you're a first year student, you probably feel like you're at Disneyland right now. But, but you're working on your floor plan. And I know that at times it can be extremely stressful to work on the floor plan, no doubt. But, but it's also a lot of fun dreaming and planning and learning and kind of making your own way and life. And here's the deal. Jesus cares deeply 
about that floor plan. He cares deeply about the floor plan of your life. All the details of your future, they, they really do matter to him. But there's something he's far more concerned about than your floor plan, and that's your foundation. Why? Because just like building a house, when it comes to building your life, the foundation is more important than the floor plan. And just like building a house, when talking about your life, it's not always exciting to talk about the foundation. It's a lot more fun to dream about the future than really doing that hard work of examining the foundation that you're building your future on. But the reality is, is whether or not your life collapses under the pressures and the weight of all that you'll face over the coming weeks and months and years and decades, it's not determined by the floor plan. It's actually determined by the foundation that you build your life on. And when it comes to building our lives, the foundation is more important than the floor plan. And that's what Jesus is actually telling us in this passage in Matthew chapter 7. He says, the wise person listens to Jesus' teaching and obeys them and thereby builds their lives upon solid rock, a good foundation, giving them the ability to withstand whatever life throws at them. And he says that a foolish person listens to his teaching and doesn't obey him and thereby builds their life on sand or a bad foundation and will inevitably collapse under the pressures of life. The question for us is, is which type of person are we today? Are we wise or are we foolish? Where where are we building our life? What foundation are we building our life on? And here's what we need to understand when we look at this, like all of us build our lives on something. Like We all have principles that we organize our lives around. We have ideas about the way that the world works. We have beliefs about who we are at our core, our identity. We have things that motivate us. We have things that we believe and do that become the foundation of our lives. And we get those from somewhere. Like they aren't neutral. Those things come from somewhere. We either consciously sort of establish that foundation or we passively inherit it from our culture, or from other people, or from the influences around us. Whether we're intentional about it or not, all of us build our lives on something, some sort of framework, some sort of belief system that we are going to build our lives around. And I think that the foundation that maybe culture pushes, or the the foundation that we sort of will passively inherit if we don't intentionally dig into this, is that we should build our lives on the things that make us happy. Like that we should follow our passions, follow our dreams, follow our heart, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. Like develop a picture for your ideal future, a goal for who you want to be in the future, pursue it, achieve it. And if if you achieve it, man, there's your purpose, there's your identity, there's ultimately that's your happiness. And for some of us, that pursuit of happiness or that pursuit of, of following your heart leads us to sort of build on this foundation of like success and achievement, like being the best at what we're doing and seeing the results of our hard work paying off, like just succeeding, like achieving. Some of us, that, that pursuit of happiness might lead us to build on a foundation that's kind of rooted in romantic relationships, like finding the right person to share your life with and building on that, or, or maybe the future of, of a family, like having three kids, a cat, a dog, and a hamster, you know, like maybe sometimes that foundation that we build on is money and possessions, like financial security or the kinds of cars and homes and vacations that we've always dreamed of. Like if we build on that belief system, that's that's the goal. That's the purpose. Some of us, it's helping others. Like our pursuit of happiness is rooted in advancing other people, like lifting up those who are marginalized or hurting. 
And so there are these endless amounts of foundations that we can build our lives on under kind of that cultural umbrella of do what makes you happy, follow your heart, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. And I think that's a a pretty fair, just kind of general assessment of kind of the foundation of life that that our culture uh, lays out for us. And while desires for those things, like desire to be married or desire to have a good job or desire to help other people, those things are not bad or sinful in and of themselves at all. But what we see in this passage of Scripture is that's not the foundation that Jesus is encouraging his disciples to build on in this passage. Jesus says, those who listen to my teaching and obey it, those who listen to my teaching and follow it, will be building on the solid rock. And now what what teaching is Jesus referring to here? Well, the passage that we read today is the very end of Matthew chapter 7. But in, in the book of Matthew, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, we have chapters 5 through 7 encompass a teaching called the Sermon on the Mount, probably the most famous teaching of Jesus, probably the most uh, quoted sermon ever, right? Um in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 1, it starts this way. One day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. So this passage that we're looking at today in chapter 7 is the, the very end of this, this sermon that he laid out to his disciples on this mountainside. And what he does in this, uh, in this sermon is he lays out a description or a vision of life in God's kingdom, a way of life that seeks God first above everything else, a way of life that's rooted in in loving God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, loving our neighbor as ourself. The foundation that, that Jesus is unpacking in this sermon is so unlike the world that these early uh, disciples of Jesus lived in, and it's also so unlike the world that we live in today. Um, but, But I think it's still so applicable because in this sermon, Jesus addresses things that we desperately need to understand in our cultural moment, even 2,000 years later. Jesus talks about a sexual ethic that condemns the objectification of others, particularly women. Like, that we wouldn't look at a woman with lust and, and see them as an object to satisfy our own desires, but as a person made in the image of God. And, and honestly, guys, if, if only politicians and business leaders and even church and ministry leaders would follow just that one teaching of Jesus, me too wouldn't have to exist, right? Jesus also in the Sermon on the Mount condemns dehumanizing of others through hatred and anger, but he shows us how to navigate relationships, not just with our friends, but with our enemies, how to love our enemies. I think a little bit of Twitter and social media needs some of that, right? He talks about valuing humility over pride and self-righteousness. In the sermon, he talks about becoming a person of your word, a person of integrity, someone who does what they say they're going to do. He talks about in this sermon forgiveness and restoration. Jesus addresses anxiety and worry and how God actually wants to help us overcome those things. Prayer, generosity, fasting, social justice, caring for the poor. You know, just a few little things that we desperately need to address in the culture that we live in today. And I would encourage you, man, as soon as you're done listening to this, like sit down, read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, and just see the picture of life in God's kingdom that Jesus is laying out for his followers. Jesus is inviting 
his disciples to build their lives on that foundation, his word, his teaching, his kingdom. And he's saying to not build our lives on his foundation that he laid out is foolish. So the question is, are we doing it? Are we building our lives on that foundation? Now, you might ask or wonder, like, why does it really ultimately matter what foundation we build on, especially if you don't really care much about the teachings of Jesus? Well, here's what Jesus says in this passage. He says, when the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house. He doesn't say if, he says when, because the storms of life inevitably come to all of us. And and we've seen that, guys, over the last couple of years that (laughs) we we are, it's life, we're going to inevitably face storms. And, and really, many Christians think that following Jesus is supposed to protect them from the hardships of life. So actually, they end up abandoning him, abandoning him when life gets hard or difficult. Um, but that's really not the promise of Scripture, that if you're a Christian or a follower of Jesus, that you don't have bad things happen to you. In fact, Jesus is saying right here in this Scripture that the wind and the rain and the storm comes to every single one of us, no matter what foundation we've built on. And the foundation that we've built on actually determines whether or not we collapse under the weight of that. And so if you live and build on culture's, you know, general cultural definition of like, you do what makes you happy, you follow your heart, that kind of thing. According to Jesus here, like it collapses in the midst of the the storms of life. If you build your life on a successful career or health or travel, just those three things alone, COVID-19 just destroyed so much of that. There have been people that have been laid off from great jobs. There have been people that have gotten sick. I mean, perfectly healthy people that have gotten sick and even lost their lives as a result of this virus. And and then we've seen lockdowns, like these experiences that we enjoyed and we loved, the concerts, the traveling, all that stuff was removed for us. For And for some of us, we're still dealing with, with not being able to do things, that things are still locked down. Um, and so, like, how does it what does our life mean what, when we face a storm like that and we've built our whole life on just this belief of this is the foundation that we need to build on? If we build on the foundation of material possessions, like, man, we've seen wildfires all over the country just raging, like, and people losing everything they own, cars, houses, stuff, and the storms of life come and, and material possessions are not a strong enough foundation to build our life on. If it's marriage or family, like what what happens when a child is diagnosed with cancer or spouse has an affair? If our foundation is is even if it's benevolent, if, even if it's helping others, what happens when when the people that we want to help don't want our help, which is what often happens in nonprofits and those kind of things. Even for me as a pastor, like ministry, successful ministry, if that's the foundation I build on, like what happens if no one shows up to the worship service? What does that mean? The foundations, other than Jesus and his teaching, are not strong enough for the realities of life. And when we face the storms of life, when we've built on those foundations, like it it causes desperation. It causes anxiety in the storms. You begin to question your identity. Like, what does it say about me that I can't get the perfect job or I can't be the best person in this room? What does it say about who I am that my marriage is kind of a mess right now? Who, 
what does it say about the type of type of dad that I am? If my kids are kind of unruly in this season, who am I? What what does it mean for my life if I can't uh, have the things that I always dreamed of having? And when the storms of life come, like man, it's it's brutal. If that's the foundations, if those are the foundations that we built upon. And then the question is, is, okay, so if those foundations don't work, why is the foundation of Jesus actually sufficient? Like, if those are things are, are not strong enough, why is Jesus' foundation strong enough? Here's what I think, and here's what I think this passage teaches us. When we build upon Jesus' teaching, we're actually building our life on him. See, Jesus is not just a wise teacher. He's God. But he's also a man. He's fully man and fully God. And so the reality of Jesus is that he faced all of the storms that we can and will face, and he fulfilled the commands that he asks us to follow in this passage. He, Jesus, faced the downpour of loneliness and rejection. He faced the rising flood of insults and hardships. He faced the beating wind as he was beaten and hung on a cross for our sins. Isaiah 53, this is a prophecy about Jesus hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene. I want you to hear what the storms of life were like that Jesus faced. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3, says this, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and he looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. Verse 5, he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Verse 9 says, He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. Not only did Jesus face the storms of life that we all will face, but he bore the weight of our sin. He bore the weight of all of the sins of the world. Because he did that, because he lived what he preached and asked his followers to do, because he offers us his forgiveness if we will repent and empowerment of his spirit if we will follow him, he is the rock that we can stand on to face anything life throws at us and we will not collapse. If we put our faith, if we put our hope, if we build on the foundation of Jesus and his teaching, he is the one that we build our life on and he will not crumble under the pressure. In this season of your life, the foundation work is not sexy. It's not always exciting <laughs> to think about the, the worldview, the idea that we build our life on. It's not as exciting as dreaming about the floor plan and, and kind of the ways that you're going to build your life. It's, it's not always visible to work on the foundation. It takes time. It takes discipline reading scripture, praying, repenting of sins, like all of that stuff. And Alicia is going to actually talk about and unpack some of the practical nature of what it looks like to build on this foundation. I'm just speaking to our hearts tonight. But as an older Christian, 
a few years ahead of you in life, I promise you that doing the foundation work is worth it. It's worth it. Because I've faced the storms of life and I can say that Jesus is a foundation worth building on. That he has helped me not crumble under the immense pressure and weight and storms that I've faced. Everyone builds on something. So you're either building on rock or on sand. And the question is, which one are you going to build on? And here's the thing, guys. In Chi Alpha, we actually, we want to help you. And that's why we do life groups. Life groups are small group Bible studies that meet once a week. But, but the reason we call them life groups is, not, is because it's more than that. It's real brotherhood. And it's real sisterhood. It's people actually trying to walk closer to Jesus together, not just for one hour a week, but just with our whole lives. And, and so Jesus, like I said uh, earlier, when he sat down to, to unpack the Sermon on the Mount, he did it in community. He did it with a group of people, men and women that were following him. And so the context of these uh, commandments and the context of these teaching is community, not in isolation. And so we have students and staff that are working really hard to build on the right foundation in their lives. And we want to walk through this season of your life with you, this floor plan stage, and help you walk with Jesus like we're not perfect, we don't have it all figured out, but we love Jesus and we want to grow together with you as you follow him together. And that's why we invite you to join a life group. That's why we encourage you to get involved in a life group because no one was meant to live life alone and no one was meant to follow Jesus alone. And we can't fulfill these commandments and, and walk this out without brothers and sisters around us to, to help us do it. And so we just really encourage you to join a life group because that's going to help you build on that foundation. I want to share one last story with you to close out. In southern Louisiana, in the 1850s, there was the largest concentration of millionaires in the country at that time. It's a French-speaking area of the country. Most of those folks that were millionaires were slave owners, um, owned plantations and, and those kind of things. And there was an island that was just off the south of Louisiana just a, that was out in the sea called Last Island. And it, it was about, I think it was about a mile wide and about seven miles long. And this island was had become a resort island for all of these millionaires and all these people uh, of means at the time. They had built resort cottages there. They had built a big hotel there. And uh, these millionaires would, would go over with the people that they had enslaved and sort of stay out on this island for days at a time and weeks at a time because... It was since it was out on the ocean, the ocean breeze was just constantly kind of blowing around this island. So it was actually really comfortable, more comfortable kind of than inland. And so they would they would go to this resort, last island. But in August of 1856, 400 people were on this island. August 8th, this storm kind of starts to starts to brew. It kind of looks kind of sketchy, but it's it's 1856, so they don't have the 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 means that we do to kind of predict and know what the weather's doing. The storm starts to brew. August 9th comes and it's kind of building up. But man, all these people are on the island. They're enjoying themselves. They're they're partying. They're having a good time. They're enjoying this resort. And then August 10th, the evening of August 10th, a hurricane comes and makes landfall on Last Island. It's a category five hurricane and it just demolishes the island. There are over 400 people on the island. In the midst of this hurricane, uh, historians say that almost 200 of them died. So half of the people on the island 
died. There was a family called the Mill family, a guy named Thomas Mill. He had brought his daughter, Emma, to the island for the first time uh, for this trip. And uh, they had a cottage on the island. And in the midst of this storm, um, one of the, the people that they had enslaved, a man named Richard, came to them, came to the Mill family and begged them, will you please come to the stable with me in the midst of this storm? Will you please come to this horse stable and, and stay in the horse stable with me while the storm is happening? And they just, they reject him. Like, they don't want to hear what he has to say. Like, no, we're going to go, we're going to go to our cottage. And so the whole Mill family goes into the cottage. By the time the storm had finished washing over this island, every single structure on the island, the hotel that everyone had run to, the cottages that people had run to, all of those things had collapsed, with the exception of one structure on the island, the stable that Richard had invited the people to come to, had invited the Mill family to come to. Richard and an old horse, they weathered out the storm in this stable. And the reason that it stayed up was because the the pilings, the, the pillars that it was built on were actually down into the bedrock of the island. It wasn't just on the top of the sand, but it actually, they had driven it down. It's likely that Richard actually was the one that built that stable. And so he knew uh, that it was a safe place to go. And that's why he was begging them, the, the Mill family, to come in and, and seek refuge there. But they didn't listen. After the storm washed over the island, Emma Mill was the only person left alive in her family. And she had kind of washed ashore off of some debris. And eventually Richard comes across her and, and actually ends up saving her life. Um, this person who, you know, had kind of despised him, enslaved him, didn't see him as human. Um, he, he grabs her, he takes her to a doctor. She, uh, the doctor helps her recover. And eventually she actually marries this doctor. When I look at this tragedy in 1856, I think about Jesus. Just like Richard, crying out, asking people that he loved, that he cared for, to come into the place that was built on the rock. Come to the solid foundation. The, the only place that's worth building something on. While everyone is running to the mansions that they've built on the sand and the cottages that they've built on the sand and the things that they've done, these beautiful structures that are built on something that cannot withstand the storm, Jesus is crying out to you and to me and saying, come build your life on the rock. The rock that is me, that I made possible, that I built myself. And, and, and when we look at Isaiah 53, we see that so many of us despise him and reject Jesus and, and say, no, I don't want to have anything to do with you. But the reality is that there's still an invitation from someone who is despised, just like Richard was, to, to come and be in the protection, in the safety of the rock, in the safety of a life built and lived with Jesus. That is the invitation. We can build our life on the sand and it can look beautiful and we can run to those things when the storms come, but only Jesus can help us stand through whatever we face. Only Jesus is worthy of building our life on. And even though this stable was probably ugly, it didn't look nearly as nice as the other cottages and, and the hotel, it was the only thing that stood standing. And the reason for that is the foundation is more important than the floor plan. Jesus is inviting us today to come to the rock, to build our lives on him, the good foundation. Thank you for listening today. 
We'd love to connect with you beyond this podcast. If you want more information about TCU Chi Alpha, visit tcuxa.com. God bless and go frogs.